The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Amen. Hadn't it been good to sing those things that are true and respond to God this morning? Amen? Okay. The angels in heaven right now are mocking you. Is our God worthy of praise this morning? Amen. Amen. And it shouldn't take anybody to drum it up and pull it out of you. He is worthy. Um, and, and, and I appreciate you singing. I appreciate Benny being willing to, to fill in and step up when, when Ethan is out of town. Ethan's on a choir tour with North Greenville University. And, and uh, so appreciative that we have Benny and so many others in this faith family that uh, are so gifted and so talented and, and so willing to step up and get so little accolades. Uh, they, they are willing to serve and have all the glory go to God. And I uh, appreciate them. Well, as we were singing those songs, I kept thinking, I kept seeing this, this person, this figure over my left shoulder, just, just standing over there. And I knew Wallace was back there, but I could tell Wallace was in the row. And I, this person was outside the row. And I kept thinking, who is that? I mean, and I didn't want to turn around and be rude. I thought maybe, you know, maybe the Spirit of God's really, you know, moved on this person and they've come down and they've, we, we, we encourage you to be free in your worship. And, and I thought, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to turn around and look at this person to, you know, make them feel awkward or whatever. And, and it was Phil, our chairman of deacons, standing over there the whole time trying to get my attention because he had brought me a cup of water. And, uh, and I appreciate that, Phil. Uh, what, I don't know if that was the Spirit of God or not, but... Uh, um, as we were praying, I, I peeked around, and, and, uh, and I appreciate the water. Uh, I also, the lyric, that one of the last lines in that song talks about that we're clothed in power and in grace. Isn't that a good thing to say, that it, through Christ, if you're in Christ today, that we are finely dressed this morning, that we, uh, we look good this morning because of His righteousness, His grace, His power. We're clothed in that. I, um, this week... I follow a, um, a guy on Twitter, Ed Stetzer, who is the director of research for Lifeway. And every so often he tweets out church signs of the week. And they're these like catchy little or, or embarrassing sometimes sayings that churches sometimes put on their marquees. Have you seen these driving around? Well, this one that he tweeted, there was a picture of this church sign. And all it said was, no clothing this Wednesday. No clothing this Wednesday. And his comment on that was that could really make for an awkward prayer service on Wednesday. And it really, I mean, it really could. And I'm assuming that at that what they were meaning was they probably had some sort of clothing ministry that where they gave clothes to, to those in need and uh, maybe they canceled it for that week. But I think there's probably a better way to say that than no clothing this Wednesday. Let me assure you, as long as I'm your pastor there will never be a Wednesday or a Sunday or any other gathering where clothing is optional. All right? Just because we're clothed in power and grace doesn't mean that you don't need to put on earthly clothes. Okay? So put them on. Uh, but I am so grateful that we are clothed in power and grace. And as we are dealing with going through this topic of suffering, um, Benny directed us, and I so appreciate the way he led us to, to see the heart of God, that many of you have gone through 
difficult times this week. You've seen things this week. You've experienced things this week that don't make sense, that you don't understand. But we do have a God who is faithful to us in the midst of that. And, uh, and I want to continue to draw your attention to this. We started last week through this series, Failure, Brokenness, Suffering, and the Faithfulness of God. And I started last week by just pointing out some of the things that those in this congregation are dealing with. I could go outside of this and I could, I could look at the news and find examples in various parts of the world where people are suffering. But the reality is we don't have to go outside of this faith family. Because there are people that are sitting in seats all across this room who are right now in the middle of something, suffering through something. Uh, I went through this list last week, and let me just reiterate it. Let me repeat it again this week. There are people in this very room who right now you are dealing with uh, a diagnosis of cancer. And there is cancer that is growing in your body. And you've gotten the news, and you are scared to death. You don't know what the future holds for you. Let me assure you, I don't know what the future holds as far as your immediate healing either. But if Jesus is your God, then you will never, ever, ever be alone. He will walk with you through it. And for you as a believer, even if it means that he does not heal you of your cancer this side of heaven, the reality is you will experience through death the ultimate healing in going to be with God forever. Be received by him. And uh, some of you are dealing with things like that, cancer or something else. Some of you right now, you're dealing with uh, prodigal children. Some of you have teenagers or you have uh, even children who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s maybe, who are prodigal and they've gone the way of the world. And they are dealing with addictions and, and, uh, and poor behavioral choices. And you are worried over those. And you pray for those. Let me assure you that God will be faithful in the midst of that. Some of you in this very room are dealing with not children who have gone prodigal, but your very parents have gone prodigal. And they are maybe entering into lifestyles that you never thought that they would enter into. Some of them are maybe leaving a spouse and going to be with another person. And you're dealing with that this morning. And let me just call your attention not to some eloquent preaching But let me call your attention to the fact that our God is faithful. Some of you in this very room, you've dealt with severe loss recently. Over the last week or few weeks or months, and you thought by now and everyone around you has has pushed you to to put it behind you and to move on. And you really, you really shouldn't be where you are. You should be further than that. You should progress. You should move on. And the reality is you just can't seem to move on. Let me tell you something. Our God is faithful. Some of you in this very room, you're dealing with addiction. And you're, you're, you're struggling to, to say no to those things, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, or food or pornography or or whatever the case may be, and you're struggling every single day to not drive by that particular place or not talk to those particular friends. The reality is those friends and those people at those places will not be faithful to you. They will be faithful as long as they continue to abuse you. But our God will be faithful to walk with you through it and to call you out of it. And that's why we come together and celebrate today. 
Last week we began looking at this and I told you that what I don't want to do is I don't want to spend so much time on why is there suffering in the world? I think it can be answered very simply in saying that we live still this side of heaven. That, yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, he was placed into the tomb. Yes, he has been raised from the dead and he's now ascended at the right hand of the Father. But you and I are not there yet. We will be there. There's coming a day when he will come back and he will take us to be with him. He will right every wrong and there will be a new creation. But until that time, we still live with the residual effects of sin in this world. These things are not annual. They are perennial. They're going to keep coming back as long as Jesus waits. And that's the answer to why there is suffering in the world. I think what we need to do, what would be more helpful to you, would serve you better, is for us to look at what God is. If God is faithful, if he is sovereign, if he is omnipotent, if he is omniscient, if he is loving, if he is just, if he is all of those things, then what in the world is he doing in it? Why? Why? I know why suffering exists in general, but in my life, in your life, why is he allowing suffering into your life? What is he doing through it? I sat down with a man this week who made an appointment with me and came to my office. And dealing with, and I won't give you details, but dealing with a very, very, very taxing situation. Very troubling. Uh, grown man broken by what is going on in his life. And one of the things I was able to tell him or point out to him was that it could be that God in his sovereignty, he could have stopped it, but he didn't. So you must ask the question, since he didn't, then what does he want to do through it? And it was a light bulb went off for this man. He had never thought about that. He had always simply been looking inward at himself and why this was happening to him and how this wasn't fair instead of saying, God, my life is not my own. God, if you want to allow suffering to be the story of my life, then God, make it the story of my life for your glory. That's a hard place to get to, isn't it? It's one thing for me to stand up here the 37-year-old pastor who has suffered very little and to tell you that and to encourage you, instruct you to embrace suffering in your life with that attitude. It's another person to see. It's another thing for to see a person who has endured suffering, who is a, approaching life with that attitude. And that's what I want you to see today. Through the example of Scripture, I want to show you this morning through so many different suffering situations, just what God is doing. Last week, we looked at three. We looked at two on Sunday morning and one last Sunday night. We talked last week about God in suffering when he allows it into your life. He is sometimes testing you, not for you, not, not for his knowledge, but for you. He's testing you. He's testing the strength of your faith. We also then moved on. We said sometimes when God is allowing you to suffer, he's humbling you. And this is not the same kind of humbling that I used to try to do to my sisters growing up. 
and humble them and embarrass them and make them feel foolish. This is coming from a God who is altogether worthy of everyone's praise and is stronger than any strength you and I will ever possess. And he humbles us to keep us mindful of the fact that when we get off in our own strength and begin to do things that way, that we're always going to come up short, that we have at our fingertips all of the resources of God. And he wants us to trust in him, not in ourselves. And last Sunday night, we said that through suffering, God will also make us long for heaven. And isn't it true? When you endure hard situation, when you're reminded that what you're going through is the result of living in a sinful world that is on its way to being fully redeemed, doesn't it make you long for being fully redeemed? That's what we long for. There's the lyric in the song we sang earlier said, there's coming, there's going to be an end to these troubles. But until that day comes, I'm going to praise you. And we, it's one thing to sing it. It's another thing that when you're in the crucible of it, to praise him through it. This morning, I don't know how far we'll get. I want to give you at least two more things that God does through suffering. I told you last week I had nine altogether. I've condensed a few of those just so that we can get through. But I at least want to give you two and maybe three this morning. The first is this. God allows suffering in our lives sometimes to give us an opportunity to glorify God. To give us an opportunity. To give us a platform. I won't, I won't read. Well, I, re, I will. I'll read part of the scripture. Turn to John chapter 9, if you will, this morning. And if it's okay with you, we're going to treat this more as Bible study than we do a sermon. I want you to be involved. I want you to turn in the pages of your Bible if you have one. If you don't have one, then look at the screens and hopefully, I didn't give David my text ahead of time, but hopefully he can keep up with us. But John chapter 9, and beginning in verse 1, let's just read there. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now, this was a common belief of the day that when you saw someone that was obviously suffering from some sort of ailment, something that the world would say is a disability or a handicap, they would say God doesn't do that unless someone has sinned. There's sin somewhere. It's either this man's sin or his parents sin but somewhere along the way somebody did something really awful and now they are experiencing the suffering as a result you know what that is that's karma karma is nowhere in scripture karma is popular among young people today karma is a popular belief and it is a wrong belief it is it is the belief that says that you get what you give if you treat someone horrible, then you will also be treated horrible. The reality is, the truth of the gospel, and this is what makes it so beautiful, is that regardless of how awful you and I have been, God has not held that against us, but instead, He laid our iniquity on Christ, and He treats us with grace. Isn't that good? And Jesus here says to them, it was not that this man sinned, Or his parents. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. The reality is here, 
Jesus goes on. And sometimes when suffering is severe, what happens in this particular instance in Jesus and his disciples and them walking together was Jesus went on. This was one of those strange stories in Scripture that just I loved as a kid and it puzzled me so. Jesus goes to this man and he, he spits in the mud and he makes a mud pie there in his hands. And he takes this mud and he just wipes it all over the man's face. And I used to think, you know, I used to try to tell my sisters, you know, it's biblical. Let me do this, you know, do you? You know, and that's not exactly, it's not prescriptive. But Jesus did this. And I always thought, that's so strange. And he tells the man to go and wash in this pool. And he'll be healed. And the man exercises faith and goes and washes. I mean, I would have washed too, but he didn't just go wash anywhere. He went exactly to the pool where Jesus told him to go. And the man who was blind from birth went away seeing. And this just puzzled all those religious people of the day. They questioned him and said, how is it that you can now see? At first, they said, this isn't the same guy. He looks like the same guy. He sounds like the same guy, but it's not the same guy. And they called his parents in and they said, is this your son? It's our son. Then how does he see? He's of age. Ask him. So they ask him and he says, his words are beautiful. This much I know. I once was blind, but now I see. And see, sometimes when suffering comes into your life and mine, sometimes God allows suffering so that he can bring healing so that everyone can see the power of God and give glory to him. And that's beautiful when that happens. You ever experienced that? I've experienced that over the years as in ministry and as a believer following Christ. Sometimes there will be someone who is diagnosed with cancer or, or back problems or whatever the case may be, and we'll call them together and we'll do what James talks about and we'll come together and we'll lay hands on them and we'll pray for them and we'll see God bring miraculous healing. I mean, not, not just once, but multiple times have I seen people go to the doctor and them say, I don't know what happened, but what was there before is not there now. You tell me. Who gets the glory out of that? When doctors, with all of their skill and all of their training and all of their knowledge, and I love doctors and appreciate them, but there's a limit to what they really can do sometimes. And when they, with all of their expertise, say, I don't know what to tell you. Only God can get the glory there. But other times, even if God doesn't bring healing, sometimes suffering in your life and my life is still an opportunity to glorify God. Sometimes God allows us to suffer and will allow us to suffer for years, maybe the rest of our lives, so that in our embracing of His sovereignty over our lives, He gets glory. And people, this is what Matthew 5.16 talks about when it says, let others see good works in you so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. How many of you have heard of Joni Erickson Tata? Joni Erickson Tata is, uh, is a lady who is a quadriplegic. In 1986, Joni Erickson Tata was swimming in a lake. She was in high school, senior year of high school, and she was swimming there with some friends in the lake. And, uh, and that day was a beautiful day, and she swam out to what was a, just a floating dock that was anchored below the surface, and she climbed up on that dock, and she dove into the water. And she dove at too steep of an angle, and she hit the bottom, and her 
neck was instantly broken. She couldn't move. She laid there floating on the surface of the water face down until someone came and rescued her. The news came in very quickly when they rushed her to the doctor and they did all of the the, the tests, they did all of the x-rays and all of that. And it came back and the doctor said, Joni, you will never walk again. You're going to be a quadriplegic for the rest of your life. You won't have the use of your arms or hands. Everything below the neck is gone. And Joni said she laid there in that hospital bed. And for the first several days, she laid there in that bed. And all she wanted to do was to take her own life. She was serious about it. She really wanted to take her own life. But how do you take your own life when nothing below your neck works? She said she had no hands to lift any knife or razor. She had no hands to lift any pills or to access any pills. She couldn't, she couldn't pull the trigger on a gun. She couldn't get out of bed and do anything to herself. And so she says that in that, in that hospital bed, she laid there in that bed, and she simply at night tried to wrench her neck as sharply and as quickly as she could, hoping that she would break her neck a, a little further above where she had already broken it so that she would end it all. Can you imagine that kind of desperation? And then she came across a verse. The verse is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, that says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And as she came across that verse, immediately it's as if the grace of God washed over her, and she went from wanting to take her own life to saying, God, I don't know how, but I want to give thanks even in this. And since that time, Joni has gone on to learn how to paint with her mouth. She's one of these quadriplegics that holds a paintbrush between her teeth and paints beautiful pictures. She has gone on to serve under two U.S. presidents um, on the National Disability Council, under Reagan and under Bush. She's also served uh, on a committee that Condoleezza Rice put together. She now hosts a, a weekly or a daily radio program called Joni and Friends. She works with Wheels for the World and supplying wheelchairs and other um, other mechanisms that are needed for those with disabilities all around the world. She speaks at multiple venues every day. She's written multiple books. She sings. She is a great advocate for for great hymns of our faith. And she lays there or sits in her wheelchair. And she now has a little bit of mobility in her arms, but her hands still cannot clasp. She can't point. She can't make a fist any longer. She cannot move anything beyond simply her arms and then her mouth. And she praises God every day. Sometimes God allows suffering in your life and mine so that he would get glory. Whether it's to heal us instantly in the world to say there is power in that God. Or whether it's for them to look on you and to see you embrace the sovereignty of God and to submit and humble yourself in his presence, regardless of what comes your way, they will just as much say there is power in that God. God wants to bring glory to himself and he will, even if it means wounding you so that you would be conduit 
for people to praise him. Secondly, I want you to see this morning that in the midst of suffering, God allows us to suffer, sometimes sends suffering our way, sometimes inflicts us in order to train us to obey, to train us to obey or to train us in holiness. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 2. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. And let's look at verse 10. We're going to look at Jesus in his earthly ministry. Remember that Jesus. Is Jesus completely God? Yes, absolutely. Is he also completely man? Yes, absolutely. This is a mystery to us. We don't understand how this works. But Jesus being fully God is also fully man. Look at chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through What? Suffering. Not perfect through a happy life. Not not perfect through having plenty of friends. Not perfect through nothing ever going wrong. But Jesus himself, fully God, subjects himself to suffering. And somehow we see here in his humanity, he is made to be perfect through suffering. Now, this does not mean that Jesus was imperfect. It does not mean that he was ever sinful. We know that Jesus was never sinful, that he never sinned. He never rebelled against God. But somehow in his humanity, as he lived his life, as he suffered and endured, he learned what it was to trust God, to be holy, to be made perfect. And if Jesus needs to suffer to be made perfect, then how much more do you and I need to be made perfect. Anybody perfect yet? If you're raising your hand, somebody around you should should slap you probably. Wake you up. Go over just a couple of chapters. Go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 of chapter 5 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. John Stott points out that in Scripture, there are three basic biblical images that God uses to show how he trains us or how he disciplines us at times so that we might be trained in holiness or trained in obedience. If Jesus had to suffer, then we will also suffer. And he gives three basic illustrations here. The first of which is is the father who disciplines his children. In Hebrews chapter 12, I won't have you turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, the Bible says there that we should not forsake or not take for granted or not begrudge the discipline of our father because the father disciplines those whom he loves. And it goes on to say those whom are true sons and it distinguishes the true sons from illegitimate sons. Now, don't, don't, ladies, don't be offended 
that the Bible uses the word sons here. The Bible includes you in that as well. And it's good news for you. The Bible here never, when talking about being adopted into the family of God, never does it refer to daughters. And there's a good reason for that. Daughters were not those who inherited. Sons got the inheritance. And so you have been brought in as sons as well in the same way that I, as a man, am the bride of Christ. Here it distinguishes when when God allows you to suffer and brings discipline into your life. What he's doing is he is saying to you, you are truly one of mine and I can't let you get away with this. I can't let you keep going in this. And everything's been judged on Christ, but he wants to discipline you for your good. That passage goes on to say. It goes on specifically to say that God disciplines us for our good, namely that we should share in his righteousness, in his holiness. What God is doing through discipline when he disciplines us is he is making us like Christ. He is removing those things from us that don't resemble Christ and he is building into us the character that does. Anybody remember your parents ever disciplining you? We could go around the room, we could talk stories and tell funny things and I haven't shared this story with you in a while, and I, I think I have. I know, well, I know I have. So if you've heard it before, just indulge me. But I grew up in East Tennessee, and uh, in East Tennessee, there was a firm belief in spanking, just like there probably is in South Carolina and, uh, and much of the South. And we would go to my, grand, my, my grandparents' house every Sunday afternoon. And my, my grandfather, my grandmother, lived in the same little house up in the mountains of East Tennessee all of their lives. My grandfather couldn't read. Uh, he, he didn't have a driver's license. He farmed all over the hillside. There was not a flat piece of property on the whole place. And Papa, as we, we called him, that's what we called him, he had two barns. He had one lower barn and he had one upper barn. And we did what all cousins do when they get together. We'd come together on Sunday afternoon. And at that, in those days, there were no Xbox 360s. There were no iPads, no iPods. There was no... Uh, DSIs or anything like that. There were no laptops, no going into the back bedroom and, and getting on the laptop. If you went in the back bedroom of my grandparents' house, which, by the way, was a two-bedroom house where they raised ten children, you were, the only thing you'd find was an old Singer sewing machine. And what we did is we played with the foot pedal, you know, to, to make the thing work. And then we got bored of that, and, and, and we, got, we got tired of the, the adults saying, go out there and twist the antenna to see if you can get the picture to come in a little better. And so we would scatter, and we'd go all over the hillside. And one day, my cousin Sonny and I went up to the upper barn. And Papa never had any modern technology. He never owned a tractor in his life. He, he plowed and farmed all of those hillsides with mules. And if you know anything about mules, mules can sometimes be pretty ornery or cantankerous. And, and if, if the one who's used to dealing with them is dealing with them, they'll, they'll mind pretty well. But if it's somebody else... You don't really don't want to be around them too much. You've got to watch where you walk and all that. Well, we went up to the upper barn, and there was a hollowed-out place underneath the wall of that barn where the dirt had been dug out. And Sonny and I knew those mules were in there. And so we crawled up under that wall, and we came up into what was one of the stalls in the barn, and the mules were in the center part opening of the barn. Well, we decided they can't get to us. Let's just tease these mules a little bit. 
So we began to pick up dirt clods and throw them and bounce them off the heads of these mules. And they would snort and all this, but they couldn't get to us. So we were happy doing this. We did this for probably 10, 15 minutes and got them really worked up. About that time, we looked above us, and there was the biggest hornet's nest I ever remember seeing as a kid. And it seemed, to, in my remembrance, to be about that far from my head. And so we did what any kid would do when they see a hornet's nest, and we scrambled. We got out of there. Well, when we scrambled and went up under that wall again and came out on the road, we forgot one thing. The doors of that barn were open. And those mules, you can say they're dumb animals, but they're pretty smart. When we came scurrying up under that, I think they had all the time been planning and talking in secret mule language, saying, when they go out of here, we're getting them on the road. So we hit the road and then looked back, and here came those mules. And Sonny was older than me, and he outran me, and I was going as fast as my little probably eight, nine, ten-year-old legs would, would take me. And Sonny went up ahead, and he slid under the barbed wire fence, and he stood up. And when he stood up and looked back, back at me, his eyes were huge. And he screamed and he said, Scott! And uh, adrenaline shot through my body and my little legs took off into another gear that I didn't know I had. And I went under that fence and I was safe. When I stood up, Sonny said, when I yelled at you, that mule was reared above your head and he was about to come down and stomp you. If he'd have stomped me, he'd have killed me that day. So we stood there at that fence, and we were safe again. So we picked up a few more dirt clods and <laughs> threw them back at the mules again and then went back down to the house. And we told this story to our parents. And I, the whole way th- you know, back to the house, I'm thinking, my parents are going to be so happy that I didn't die, that I'm alive. And I told this story to my dad, and my dad, first thing out of his mouth, said, okay, go cut a switch. And those of you who are laughing, you know what a switch is. A switch is a limb off a tree that's not too thick, not too thin, just right to leave some pretty good whelps on the back of your legs. I cut that thing and I went in there and I took that like a man. Not really. (laughs) The whole time I was thinking, they're not happy that I'm alive. They were in it with the mules. It's a conspiracy to kill me on the road. At this point, I'm doubting Sonny. I'm thinking, would you let on it? You know, and all of that. But you know what I realized later on in life? I realized that my dad wasn't disciplining me because he was mad that I was alive. My dad disciplined me so that I would never go back and pester with those mules again. My dad wanted to keep me out of harm's way and to teach me what was right and what was wrong. And in the same way, God will discipline us as well. God will discipline you to show you that you really are one of His. And He loves you. And He wants you to share in His holiness. And if it means Him hurting you, He will hurt you so that good will come out of it. The second image that the Bible uses for suffering in our lives is is the image of a silversmith refining silver. A silversmith would would take, uh, or a metal worker would take this silver and and they would refine it. And the Bible speaks of this in multiple multiple times. Psalm 66 verse 10 says that he he refined them, he tested them, tried them as silver is tested. Isaiah 48 verses 9 through 11 talks about God allowing them to go through the furnace of affliction. 
First Peter one, six through seven says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What they would do when they refined this silver is they would, they would put fire under this silver and they would heat it up till it became liquid. And as it became liquid, all of the impurities in the silver would come to the top. They would float to the top and they would scoop those off and more would come. And they would scoop those off and they would heat this thing over and over and over again so that all the impurities would eventually be boiled out of this. I remember also growing up as a kid, my dad worked at Alcoa Aluminum in, in Alcoa, Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. And he worked with this hot liquid aluminum all of his life, pretty much, 38 and a half years he was there. And he would come home sometimes after working double shifts and, and he would have burns on his arms. He'd have bandages on his arms, on his hands. And I'd say, Dad, what happened to your arm? Well, some of the, some of the metal splashed out on me. I used to think, how does metal splash? It splashes when it's had the furnace turned up to such a heat that it melts and it becomes liquid. And sometimes God will let you go through some things that are so hot, so painful, so unfair in your mind. So that you will see all of these impurities be burned out of your life. He's training you in holiness. He wants you not to remain Sinful. He's you are adopted into the family of God. You will have your adoption one day, but you already are adopted. You are a child of God. If you are a believer in Christ. You are no longer a son of Adam. You are a son of Christ. But at the same time, as long as we're in this world, there's going to be these traits of Adam that come out in us. And God wants to remove all of those so that we become more and more reflective of the true character of God. And He'll allow you to suffer for that. Another image that the Bible uses, not just the the father who disciplines his children, not just the metal worker who refines silver, but then also the gardener who prunes the vine. In John 15, turn back to John chapter 15. Let's read this together. John 15, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus here is the vine. His Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Not only is it necessary, we learn in this passage, and you could keep reading and hear Jesus talk about abiding in Him. Not only is it important that we abide in Christ, we stay, we walk with Him repeatedly, day in, day out, that we faithfully return to Him in prayer and read His His Word and we hide it in our hearts. We evangelize and we do those things. Not only is it important to abide, but it's also 
um, in order to produce mature holiness in our lives, it's necessary that the vine dresser also prune away every unproductive branch so that the branch will produce more and more fruit. A couple of winters ago, we have these crepe myrtles that um, line our driveway, and they're miniature crepe myrtles, and they're not supposed to get that big. But something has gone wrong, and, um, and they get really big. And they get to where you can't drive the car down the driveway. And so a couple of winters ago, I just got really frustrated with it, my car going down through there every time, and all you could hear was you know, the scrape of the, the branches all the way down. So I just went out there one winter's day on my day off, and, and I just took a saw, and I just what they call myrtleized them. I mean, I just cut them back so far, I thought, now. I stood back, and I thought, you know, the neighbors probably think I'm crazy. I stood there, and I said, now, you know, come back now, you know. You know, by May, those things were out there again, and it was as if they just said, nana, nana, boo, boo, you know. That's right. That's right. Do you know that God does the same thing to us sometimes? Sometimes there's, there's fruit in your life as a true believer. But don't ever think that you've arrived. Don't ever think that you're done, that you're, you're producing all the fruit you're ever going to produce. That look at me. I'm full. I'm healthy. I'm a strong believer. It's the ones who are already producing fruit that God will prune so that they will produce all the more. And sometimes God will allow you, he will, he will prune away the things in your life so that you will be all the more productive for his glory. Every single one of these images, this is where I'll end. Every single one of these images, the father disciplining his children, the metal worker refining the silver, the gardener pruning this, this vine. Every single one of them, if you'll notice, goes through a negative process that is painful in, in the meantime of it. When they go through it, it's not pleasant to be disciplined, is it? I don't look back on my dad spanking me that day with that switch and go, you know what, I really miss that. You know, nobody does that. It's not pleasant at the time. When, the, when you're going through the heat, the furnace of affliction, and those things are being boiled out of your life, then nobody says, that's pleasant. I love that. When you're being pruned, and there's some things that you really like and you want to hang on to, but God says, no. And He prunes them away from you. Every single one of those is a negative process. But also, every single one of those illustrations also highlights a desirable or a positive outcome. That the son who is disciplined will also then walk in righteousness, will share in the, the righteousness of God. That the silver that is refined becomes pure, becomes worth more. The vine, the plant that is pruned, will produce more and more and more fruit. You say, well, why are you telling me this? I'm telling you this because... Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And when suffering sometimes comes into your life, you can embrace it and say, God, thank you. Thank you 
that you are not through with me yet. You see, what we do oftentimes is we see suffering come into our lives and we curse God. And we stand in the place of the potter and treat God as if he is the clay. And we say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me, God? When it's the other way around. When God's in the position of the potter and you and I are the clay. And God is molding and shaping you not into a vessel worthy of destruction, but he's shaping and molding you into a vessel that is worthy to bring glory and praise eternally to our God. We should embrace that. What would happen if we did embrace that? What would happen if we did say, God, I don't like it and I don't know how, but if Joni Erickson Tata can do it, and if Jesus, if you can do it, then Jesus, would you help me to do it? John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, points out there is always an indefinable something about people who have suffered. They have a fragrance that others lack. They exhibit the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. You may not like what you're going through. You may get to a point someday where you will go through something and you will not like it. I've got to tell you, it's been scary at times studying and preaching this series. Because, as I've been open with you and said, I have suffered very little in my life. And for me to stand up here and say, God, would you help us to be ready for and embrace suffering as good from the hands of a sovereign God. And everything in me shakes a little bit at that point, thinking, God, I want, I want to be able to say that. I want to stand in front of these people and say that, but God, I don't want you to inflict me. But if He does, I pray that He would give me the grace to embrace it, to accept it, and to say, God, whatever you want to do through it, do it. I know that your heart for me is much better, much stronger than my heart for myself. And so, God, would you do whatever you want in my life? You may be sitting here today thinking, I don't, I don't know that I could. You may be in the middle of something and saying, I, I, I can't. I'm not there. I just can't do it. The reality is that God will take you through the process to get you to that, that point. And if you're here today and you would say faithfully, God, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come my way. But God, if you deem necessary that I should suffer, God, would you give me the grace to glorify yourself through it? To produce in me a holiness that is foreign to me as it is. God, I want in every single way for my life, as short as it may be, on this planet to glorify your name. I want to be as close to you as possible. God, I don't just need you in the end. God, I need you now, every single step of the way, whether I'm not suffering right now, whether I'm in the middle of suffering, whether I'm coming out or going back into suffering, whatever the case may be, God, I need you. Help me to glorify your name. God is faithful in the middle of it. And I'll close with that Philippians verse. Philippians 1, 6. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful 
Let me add this in the middle. Even if it hurts to complete it in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we've covered two short points today. But God, I pray that you would take these and God, that you would do a work in us. God, for those all over this room that are right now in the midst of some of the suffering that I talked about, God, would you help them to say, God, I don't like it, but God, I know that it's for my good. I know that you've deemed it necessary. So, God, I will embrace it and I will praise you. There's going to come an end to it, God, I know. But, God, until that day comes, let me praise you. God, would you bring people in this room today to the point of saying, it is well with my soul. God, whatever it is, whatever it is that you deem necessary to do in and through us, God, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. God, would you make us holy? Would you glorify your name in what you allow to come our way? Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Vinny's going to lead us in a time of reflection and response. Um, what you've heard today, I, know, I realize this is hard. This is hard stuff to think about because it's one thing to talk about it in here in theory, but it's another to say, God, when it does, God, I'll embrace it. But I would challenge you today that if, if you would love to glorify his name and say, God, whatever comes, I'll praise you, then we're going to open the, um, the invitation or the time of response in just a second. And some of you may want to, right where you are, lift your hands and say, God, would you be glorified through my life? Some of you may want to come and kneel across the front and say, God, for what I'm going through now or what I'll go through in the future, God, would you glorify yourself through that in my life? Some of you may want to come and say, you know, this is the church where I feel led to, to come and join. I want to lock arms with believers here and become a part of this faith family. I want to serve God and bring glory to Him. And you want to join this church today. You can do that in this time of response. Some of you today, this is foreign to you, what I've talked about, but you so long to have that type of relationship with, with this God. And today you can come, turn from your sins, and trust Christ as your only hope of salvation. If you need me to pray with you through anything, I'd be happy to pray with you. Whatever it is that God would have you to do, we're giving you an opportunity. We've built it into this service so that you would have an opportunity to respond. This is not your only opportunity, but this is one opportunity for you to respond to what you've heard today. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.